Okay. So, uh, picture the scene. How nice would this be? At the end of the meeting this morning, someone comes up to you, maybe you know them, maybe you don't know them, and they hand you a check for a million pounds. <laughs> Is that all? Who said that? Oh, dear. Okay, 10 million. Is that better? Okay. They hand you a check for 10 million pounds, and... Uh, and so what you need to do in the next 20 seconds is turn to the person next to you and tell them what's the first thing you're going to buy. What's the first thing you're going to spend it on? Okay, over to you. Okay. Now, um... You'll be pleased to know, I'm not going to ask you, but someone once said this, that our, our checkbooks tell more about our priorities than anything else. And, uh, and whilst perhaps most of us don't use a checkbook anymore, there's no doubt that our purchases reveal our priorities. What we spend our money on really reveals what's important to us. And so what I'm going to do this morning in the next 30 minutes or so is, is share with you what I believe the Bible teaches is the number one thing you should be spending your money on. The very first, the most important thing. And if you do this, then you will experience financial freedom. Uh, last week, we kicked off this uh, teaching series, The Money Secret. For those of you uh, who are just here as a, a guest or a visitor today, uh, we have a big theme for the whole year, Every Giant Must Fall. We just know that there are lots of giants in people's lives, and we're believing that 2019 is a year where every giant must fall. Okay? And we know that one of the biggest giants that people face is the giant around money worries. And so last week, I kicked off this, secret, uh, the, uh, this series, uh, The Money Secret, which is all about how do we become financially free. And the essence of last week's message, the simple key point, was two words, God first. Principle number one to become financially free is God first. Ultimately, the scripture, as, as, and I would encourage you, listen to all of these messages. Even if you're away, all six of the messages, they all slot together. You can't cherry pick. You've got to put them all together because they will raise questions in one that will be answered in another. And so do be encouraged to get the whole series. Uh, but last week, God first, and we looked at how Jesus reminded us, don't put your trust uh, in, in money. Ultimately, don't believe that money is the answer to all of your challenges and stretches. Put God first. Trust God first. Embrace His way of doing life, His will, His words, and then you will experience true financial freedom. And we talked about the fact that we do this because God loves us. He cares about us and he wants to take care of us. And so we can trust him because that's what he is all about. The principle number one of the money secret is God first. Principle number one is? Brilliant. Excellent. You are going to talk with me today, aren't you? Excellent. That's really good. So this morning, we're going to look at the next key principle, which follows on from this one. And that is the principle of the first fruits and the tithe. Now, I know at this point, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Don't worry. All will be revealed. 
I know that a lot of you in the room think you know exactly what I'm talking about and already you're getting a sweat on, aren't you? Let's face it. Your buttocks are clenching. You're, you're feeling every part of your body is going tight because you're thinking, oh no, here it comes, Matt's message about raising more money for the church. Relax. That's not what this message is about. I mean, of course, like if people want to give more to the church so that we can reach more people and do more works of good news in this community in the world, then that's got to be a good thing, hasn't it? But that's not what this message is about. Because God is not in the business of raising money. He's in the business of raising people. God doesn't need to grow his finances. He wants to grow people. And that starts with you. Remember what we talked about last week, uh, these powerful words in Matthew chapter 6, 21. Jesus uh, talks about where your treasure is, there your heart is. And that little mantra that we keep repeating, the church doesn't want your money, but God wants your heart. He wants your heart. He wants to know that you are number one. And in all the things that we're going to talk about over these six weeks, there is nothing more that's going to challenge our hearts and our actions more than what I'm going to talk about today. It's going to be a stretch. And what I'm praying is that every single one of us, whatever anxiety or worries or what you predict I'm about to say, I pray that that will be overturned and you will be inspired, that you will be encouraged and that faith will rise in this house to step into this amazing principle, which as I I will share later, some personal experience of this brings a level of freedom that we all need. Is anyone with me? A few less than last time. Interesting. So we're going to look at a number of scriptures to draw out three key aspects of this principle of the first fruits and the tithe. And the first, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn your Bible on or open it up? And we're going to start right in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Uh, And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 4. And in Genesis 4, we're introduced to two characters, Cain and Abel, the first two children of Adam and Eve. And in verses 2 to 5, we have this interesting story that seems a bit unfair. And so, uh, so let's read it. It's going to be on the screens if you don't have a Bible with you. If you do have a Bible, I'd encourage you, mark it up, write some things down as we go. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, if you don't know what happens next, Cain is so jealous of his brother Abel that in the end, he kills his brother. It's the first murder in the biblical story. So that's a not good. But this not good follows what seems to be a not fair. Like why is it that Cain's offering is rejected and yet Abel's offering is accepted by God? They both recognize that giving to God is a good thing to do, but only one's accepted and the other isn't. Why is that? And the answer is in verse 4. Look at verse 4 because it tells us that Abel bought an offering which was the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. What was the difference Between the two offerings, Abel gave the firstborn of his flock. He gave the first. And the second difference is that he gave the best. He gave the first and he gave the best. So like I'm a bit, any steak lovers in the house? Any steak lovers in the house? I was just worried I was going to, I was overcome by vegetarianism for a second there. 
Woo. So listen, you know, I love steak and my favorite steak is a ribeye steak because a ribeye steak's got that fat that goes down the middle and that means it's sweet and it's succulent. And, and the same was true all these uh, years ago. You may disagree, but generally that the part of the meat that had the fat portions was considered the best. Abel gives the first and he gives the best. And so right here in the very fourth chapter of the Bible, we see that God is checking the heart of humanity. Because Cain's heart was, I can't give to God the first and the best. I need that to take care of myself. I need to make sure that I'm taken care of. But I recognize I should give God something. So I'll give him something, but I won't give him the first and the best. Whereas Abel's heart was very different. Abel's heart was, everything I have is a gift from God. So the first thing I'm going to do to demonstrate that I trust him is I'm going to give God the first and the best. Abel's response is rooted in faith, God first. Cain's response is rooted in fear, me first. I need to figure this out for myself. So when you think about it, the principle of the first fruits is the immediate outworking of the principle of God first. If you embrace that principle, if God is first in your life, then God will naturally become first in your finances. And so when you think about what am I going to spend my money on, the first thing you're going to think about is how do I give to God, or as we'll discover, give back to God? How do we cultivate an attitude that says, God, I'm so grateful for all that you have provided for me in many ways, but we're talking about money today. I'm so grateful for your provision that that I want to, before I do anything else, I want to give back to you because I trust you and because I have faith that you will provide in me. My trust is in you, not in money. The principle of the first fruits is that we give to God first. So the next question is, well, then how much do we give him? And that's probably a wrong question to ask. What the scripture tells us about is where should we start in our road to generous giving? And the answer is, as we're about to see in scripture, that the starting point for the first fruits is the tithe, 10%, a tenth of what we receive. And the first example we see of that is just 10 chapters later. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Genesis 14. And so in Genesis 14, we're we're many, many years later after Genesis 4. And Abram, who is going to become Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, he has just rescued his nephew Lot, who had been kidnapped by another army. Uh, Abraham's gone and fought that army, got his nephew back, and then he has got the spoils of war. So he's become very wealthy through that battle. And into this scene in Genesis 14, we see that he encounters a guy called Melchizedek, who is called the king of Salem, the priest of the Most High God. And if you look at verses 19 to 20, it says this, Melchizedek blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. That's what Melchizedek says to Abram. And then how does Abram respond to this coming into wealth? It says in verse 20, Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So Abram is blessed with a great victory, and his first thought is, I want to give a tenth back to God. 
to this high priest, actually who, uh, and I don't have time to unpack it all, but uh, there's a book in the New Testament that's written hundreds of years later called the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews 7, the writer to Hebrews says, actually, this Melchizedek, Melchizedek may well have been Jesus himself. Or a, or a metaphor, a picture of Jesus. So, so Abram is giving a tenth to the high priest, but ultimately he's giving a tenth to God. Now, decades later, uh, Jacob's grandson has a dream. You can see this now in Genesis 28. Just flip 14 more chapters to Genesis 28. Uh, Jacob, Abram's grandson, has a dream, an incredible dream, A dream that's an encounter with God. And when he wakes up from the dream in verse 22, Jacob says, carrying on the principle from his grandfather, he says to God, all that you give me will I, I will give you a tenth. All that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now, if you study the Blessed Life book, or even better, if you go on Bible Gateway and search for tithe, first fruits, you will see that that principle applies throughout the whole of the rest of the scripture, including into the New Testament. Jesus does not nullify the principle of the first fruits and the tithe. And so if you look in your Bibles in the New Testament, the very first book of the Bible, the book of Matthew, which was the biography of Jesus written by Matthew, who was one of Jesus' disciples who followed him around. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is having a bit of a conversation with the religious leaders and he's challenging them because he always saved his toughest words for the religious leaders. And in verse 23, amongst the many challenges Jesus gives, Jesus says this, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the most important things. Now what Jesus is saying here is, yes, guys, you should tithe. But tithing is a starting point to actually push you into a life of compassion and justice and generosity. That's ultimately what God is trying to cultivate in us, that we are people of compassion, just and and generous in the way that we live. So Jesus does not say the new covenant means we don't tithe anymore. It's the starting point pushing us in to a life of generosity. Now, of course, this principle of the first fruits and the tithe is the, is the ultimate heart test for us because it takes a massive amount of faith to give 10% back to God and it takes a huge amount of faith to do that first before you do anything else. Because remember, that's the principle here, that we're giving God a tenth and we're giving it to him First, I remember talking to my mum and dad about this and my, my grandfather, when he was paid years, I mean, this is decades, I never knew my grandfather. He, he, uh, he died even when my dad was two years old. But, uh, but my grandnan told me and told mum and dad how when my, my, my grandfather would come home from the mines and if he had like 10, uh, 10 bits of money, 10 coins, and he put it on the table when they arrived home and the first thing he would do, even though they were very, very poor as a family, is he would separate that first first coin away and say, that belongs to God. That belongs to God and we'll trust God for the other 90%. Now, 
For many of us, if this is new, you might think, I don't even know how this is going to work with my budgeting, with my stewardship. And and actually, we're going to be looking next week at the principle of stewardship and managing our finances well. And Kate will be talking about that next week as we start to think about how can I uh, reorganize my finances around moving towards this principle if this is new and this is a stretch for you. Because this is the challenge about doing this first. And and I've got to be honest, friends, that I've personally been very challenged by this. Because uh, when I started tithing, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, uh, and I've even taught that, taught what I'm about to tell you from this church for years, that, that actually I would always tithe from what I received, which was net, net income. I tithe from what I received, because basically I was saying, well, this is what I've received, you know, in my bank or in my pocket, so I'm going to tithe that. But of course, if I embrace that, what I've been challenged by, you have to weigh this for yourself. I'm not saying I'm right. In all of the things we're teaching, you search the scriptures for yourself. You grapple with it yourself. Okay, You own it for yourself. Don't do it because Matt says do it because you believe it as you've searched this stuff yourself. But actually, if what I got to a place as I've been preparing for this series over nearly a year ago, I realized that actually what was happening is the government was taking the first... And then I was taking the next bit. And so if I was truly to embrace the principle of the first, then I would actually give gross, not net. Because even though I can't control a lot of that, because obviously it goes out of my pay packet, what I know in my head is I'm going to give gross what are all the income that I receive. And I mean all the income, not the income from this church, but when I speak somewhere else, I do Airbnb in my home, all income I receive, I'm going to give gross because that is me saying in my heart, God, I'm giving you the first and then the government takes the second. Does that make sense? It's just getting more uncomfortable, isn't it? <laughs> help us, Jesus, help us, Jesus. So, two principles so far. The principle of the first fruits is that we give to God and we give to Him the first and we give to Him 10%. Okay? Now, already some of you are mad at me, so let me just get you even more mad at me. Okay? Because the, the third part of this principle is that, well, where do we give that tenth? And I want to suggest to you that we give that tenth to God through the local church. Now, I know that there are uh, people from other churches here, and I want you to hear this. This is for you and your church, uh, if you are a Christian and you're connected to a local church. Now, and, I, and I know that this is a big challenge. I've spoken to many Christians over the years who say, I do tithe, I give 10%, but I kind of give it to different places. So I might give 5% to my local church, and I'll give 2% to Tear Fund, and I'll give 1% over here, and, and I've got a little giving fund of 2%. So I, I do give 10% away, but I give it to a multiple uh, of course, uh, causes. And, and I want to gently suggest, even as I've searched this, again, that's not what the Bible teaches. And again, I've been challenged by this because, um, again, it's not how I used to operate myself. Again, lots of scriptures. We're going to take the most famous scripture here, which is Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 to 10. This is the last book in the Old Testament. And this is God speaking. God is saying this. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? 
in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Who likes the sound of that last bit? Oh, yes, we love that. We just don't like the key. Now, I want you to notice three things in these verses. Number one, very uncomfortable. God says, ultimately, that tithing is not giving. Tithing is simply returning. Tithing is not robbing God. That's what the scripture says. You weigh that for yourself. But tithing starts to push us into a lifestyle of giving and generosity. And our last talk in this series is all about extravagant giving. How do we take it to another level? Secondly, God reminds us in these verses that the whole tithe comes to the house. It comes to the storeroom. Now, to the people who were listening to this, this was not a metaphor. This literally was, there was a physical place and they would bring physical things to the physical storehouse in order that the house could be blessed because if the house was blessed, they were blessed because they enjoyed the benefits of the house. Now, some of you will know that for 18 years, I worked as the chief executive up until June last year of the National Youth and Children's Charity, Urban Saints. And we run youth groups all over the country, and I was privileged to be there for 18 years. And in the 18 years I was there, we had about a 2 million turnover budget, and I personally had to raise three to 400,000 pounds a year. So I was always out, not just talking to major donors, but I would be in church settings like this. I would speak in other churches. I'd be in front of other Christians. And part of my job was to say to people, it would be great if you could give to Urban Saints. It was part of my job to do that. But I would always say to people, but don't give at the expense of your local church. You give to your local church first, and then you give uh, beyond that elsewhere. Now, now why? Why is that important? Well, first of all, I think that's what the Scripture teaches. And that's the most important reason of all. But second of all, your local church is supposed to be your house. It's supposed to be your family. And so if you want your family and your house to thrive, you give to it in order that it does thrive. Because if the house thrives, then you thrive. It's like... I've got two amazing sons, Andy and Dan. They're 25 and 22, and they now work. They've been working for a while, and they still live at home, although they're going to probably be buying their own places uh, later this year. But they understand that being part of the house means that comes with some responsibilities. And so they financially give to support the house, and they also take care of the house. They're involved with me in cleaning the house because they realize that to enjoy the benefits and the blessings of the house, they have a part to play. They serve and they give, and then they enjoy the blessings of that, because we have ribeye steak now and again. (laughs) More now than again, to be honest. Well, actually, no, more again than now, we do. So they give, they invest, and then they receive the blessing of that. Is everyone understanding what I'm saying here? And the same principle applies here. We, we give our tithe to the local church, whichever that church is for you, the church we believe, the family that God has called us to. Remember, the church is not a building. The church is not a service. It's a people. It's the people of God on the mission of God. It's the family of God. We, we give to what God is doing in our local expression of the faith community because we want it to thrive, because when it thrives, we thrive. 
And there are loads of other examples in Scripture. You can look at, go and look later at the story of Hezekiah when he returns God-centeredness back to the, the, to, to the nation of Judah. And he calls them back. No one's been doing it. He calls them back to tithe and they give to the house. The house absolutely flourishes to a degree where he actually says, stop giving. Stop giving. What a great problem to have. Give elsewhere over and above. And so that's what I do. I give to the house and then I give elsewhere over and above. So number one, the tithe is not so much giving, it's returning. Number two, it's to the house. And the third thing that we see from this is that if we trust God with the tithe, the God, then God promises that he will abundantly provide for us. Abundant. I mean, again, look at those words. They are incredible. And, and here's the interesting thing. This is the only place in the whole of the Bible, which is 66 books written by 40 authors over 1,500 years. This is the only place in the whole of the Bible where God says, you can test me on this. Test me. Go on. Take a step of faith, test me on this, and see what I will do. Because all of us love the idea of God throwing open the floodgates of heaven and pouring out so much blessing that there'll be no more room enough to store it. Does anyone want that in their life? Some of you are just kind of nodding, but come on. Like, that sounds amazing to me. We love the sound of that. And God says, and the key is to commit to this principle of the first fruits and the tithing. And, and I'm aware that there may be some of you here today who are thinking, well, actually, Matt, I've never tithed. I've given, you know, I have given to the church, but I've never tithed. And actually, I have seen God's provision in my life. And listen, that is fantastic. That's called the grace of God, God's kindness, that even when we don't do things God's way, he blesses us. But I want to encourage you, test God's promises, don't test his patience. Ooh, I like that line. I'm not gonna remember. Remember this, folks. Like God doesn't need you to give, but He does want you to be blessed. I love this quote from Mark Batterson. He writes in his book, The Circle Maker. If you're living in the world of addition and subtraction, the tithe is difficult to give because it feels like you're subtracting 10% from your income. But once you graduate to multiplication, you realize that God can do more with 90% than you can do with 100%. Why? Because when you add God into the equation of your finances, it changes the game. It's true. Let me start to personalize this for a second. Let me just be honest. I have never, maybe you have, but I have never come across a single Christian follower of Jesus who has embraced this principle of the tithe. I've never seen an example of someone who's done this and not seen God supply their needs, even abundantly. Now, I'm not saying... That that doesn't mean you'll go through financial hard times. I've gone through financial hard times. I'm sure you have. It doesn't mean that. But it means that God will provide in the midst of those things. And secondly, and, and I say this really cautiously. I'm not here to judge anyone because I know how challenging this is because this money thing is such a giant for us. But again, in my experience, there are people who say, I can't afford to tithe. And there are people who say, I can't afford not to tithe. People who say, well, actually, you give because you have money, and there are people who say, I have money because I give. It's the way that you look at these things. Let me, let me own this for myself. So my mum and dad talked to me about tithing, my decision. So when I started work at 18 years old, which is 30 years ago, I know, I don't look that young, and um, 30 years ago, and, uh, and I remember 
in the days of checkbooks, writing, the first time I got a paycheck, writing my tithe, which I did net. Um, and I remember writing this thinking, this is crazy. Absolutely crazy. And, uh, and, but over the years, committing to do that, and, and it became easier than we do mostly by standing order now. And, uh, and then when I was 29 years old, I saw this job for Urban Saints. And, uh, and I thought, wow, I really, really want to go for that. But it was a 70% pay cut because I was doing very well working for Everything Everywhere by the time I left at 29. Really, really doing well. And, uh, and if you'd asked me today, and, I, and we have big questions, can we stay in our house? Can we afford to, to live with a 70% pay cut? But I was there for 18 years. And you'd ask me, well, how does that work economically? How does that work financially when you've taken a 70% pay cut? And my answer is, I don't know. I honestly don't know. But God always provided. Of course, we had to recalibrate our lifestyle. We had to do some things very, very differently. But God always provided. And then, 18 months ago, as you know, the Lord told me, I believe, to lay down my job at Urban Saints and work for the church. And, and that was wonderful, and I kind of embraced it, but that was going to create another financial drop in salary and a real challenge for me. And the challenge was so real that I knew that even if the church could afford to pay me full time, and when we'd made that decision, the church didn't know if it could, I genuinely knew I couldn't, afford, I couldn't pay my mortgage uh, from July. And, uh, and I really felt like God was stretching me in this and challenging me in this. What, do I really believe that God has spoken? And... Uh, and you, some of you will remember, like, even as trustees, we had a conversation, but okay, Matt, if, if, uh, if the church can only afford 25 hours, then we'll pay you 25 hours, and then you only need to work 25 hours. And then I felt the Lord say, no, Matt, whatever the church pays you, even if the church pays you 20 hours, you're going to work, a full, you're going to work full-time for the church. And so to nail me on it, if you remember, I actually stood in front of the whole church, and I said, God's told me that I've got to do this, so whatever I'm paid. And so every week, not every day, but every week, I used to get on my knees, and say, God, I really think you've given me this house. Um, I'd only been in my house since July 2018. And, uh, and, and I love my house. I have lots of people staying over, and it's great. And I remember saying to God, God, I love this house. I really believe you gave it to me, but you don't owe me this house. And so if I've got to massively downsize, then that's okay. <laughs> I'm being real. Is anyone with me? And it... I, you know, because I, I, I knew he'd look after me. I, that's okay. But, but actually, here's what I pray. I said, here's, here's what I'd love to do, God. I would love to stay in this house. And even though I'm going to be earning less, I want to be even more generous. I don't want my giving level to stop. Not just in terms of percentages, but actually just, just money. And, and I'm here today to tell you that God has done exactly that. He has absolutely done that. It, it, it wasn't until two weeks before that... that I went full-time on the 1st of July, the middle of June, when I knew I could afford to pay my mortgage in July. Literally two weeks before. Now, I'm not saying I'm Wonder Boy, because I would honestly wake up many mornings. You know, sometimes you wake up and you have a rush of anxiety, sickness in the back of your throat about something. And many mornings I did. I woke up and suddenly thought, what are you doing? You idiot. But I'm here to tell you, God's provided God's provided. God has taken care of me, as he will take care of you if you embrace this principle. Time is gone. Let me quickly mention four Ps just to finish as we put this into practice. Number one, commit to the priority of giving. Decide today to give God the first. 
Number two, commit to the percentage of giving. If for you right now, 10% feels utterly impossible, then pray, ask God where you should start and do that and do that consistently. Number three, commit to progress your giving. Keep stretching yourself when it comes to giving. I, again, I only embraced that in the last 10 years. My, my goal this year is to give away 20% of all my net income. 15% to this church, 5% to other causes. That's my goal, to keep stretching myself, and I'm tracking against it well. Now, again, I'm not saying, look at me, look at me, but I'm telling you, one, because I want you to know I'm trying to do this myself, because there'll be others of you who are even more generous. But, but that's, that's taken me 30 years. I wish I was more generous now than I was. It, it, it had taken me more than that, uh, less time than that to get that generous. I know people who reverse tithe. They give away 90 and they hold 10 because they've just embraced this commitment to do life differently. And then number four, as you do that, expect the promises of God. Expect the promises of God. And we have to hold two things in tension when we embrace this principle. And it's hard to hold in tension, but we do. Number one, we don't give to get. We just get to give. We don't get give to get. We don't give to God now to say, God, I've, I've given you the tithe. Where's the... But we don't, that's not our heart. We give, we get to give. We, we jump into the privilege of giving. But... And this is a big but, and I cannot lie. But, okay, but it is impossible. Everyone say impossible. It is impossible to live a life of tithing and generosity and not be blessed by God. It's impossible. It's like if I jumped off here and I would fall, it's the law of gravity. It's impossible. So I don't give and live generously just because I want something from God. In fact, I don't, that shouldn't be my heart at all. I give because I just want to be part of what God is doing in this church, in the world. I love this church. I love what God's doing. I want it to do more. I give. I believe in God's at work here. And I believe in what's going on in Moldova and, and, and Tear Fund and Compassion and all these other brilliant organizations that, that we want to bless and serve. So I want to be part of that. But it is impossible. That's what I've just told you. That's my story. That as I've embraced this principle, God has been true to his word. He has taken care of me. How, how are you going to respond to this, friends, today? How will you respond? Grab the Blessed Life book. May it encourage you. May it build faith. We do have giving forms that if you are a committed member of this church, that you want to sow into what God's doing and embrace this principle, primarily about you, primarily about you, your heart, then, then there are some here, there's some at the back, there's some elsewhere. Start. Start somewhere. Start today. See what God will do in and through you. Ask God how you should respond and do that. And if you're giving already, then take that yearly challenge at least. How can I be more generous? How can I embrace this kind of lifestyle of giving? Uh, Our time is really gone. And so I'm going to pause and invite us to stand. Can we stand? I'm sorry I've preached a little longer than we usually would, but I hope it's been helpful. But I just I want to close and and say this as as we finish, and we're gonna we're gonna have a moment of prayer, and then we're gonna actually close our service too. So I want to honour your time. In John three sixteen, the most famous passage in the whole of the Bible, it says this: For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son.
that he who believes or she who believes in this Jesus will not perish, but have eternal life. What is John, who was Jesus' disciple, saying in this moment? He's saying, God loves you so much that he gave you the first and he gave you the best. He gave himself in the form of Jesus, his son. The God that we follow, the God who enables us to do all this, lived it and breathed it himself. He gave the biggest sacrifice. He gave his life. The life, the death, the resurrection of God through Jesus, his ascension, his praying for us today, his one day return, is the Bible's ultimate declaration that you are loved, that you are precious, that every giant in your life can fall. The God who can defeat death on the cross can defeat any giants you face in your life, including the giants of money. Nothing is impossible for him. If you do not know this Jesus, if you've not given your life to him, if you've not allowed him to become number one in your life, then don't waste any more time. Let today be the day where you say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to give you first place. I'm sorry I tried to be the boss of my own life. Thank you that you loved me so much that you died for me and that you rose again, that I could be forgiven and restored into a life-giving relationship with God where I can put my trust in you and know that you have got me. I choose to follow you today. And so everyone just closing their eyes for a moment. If you, if you need to say yes to Jesus today and you need to pray that prayer, I'm going to ask you in about 10 seconds time to put up your hand as a way of saying, God, I'm, I'm going to surrender my life to you. I've still got questions, but I want to put you first in my life. I want to give you first place. I believe. I believe enough. I've still got questions, but I believe enough that Jesus, you are God's son, died for me, rose from the dead. And by putting up your hand, I'm going to say a prayer and then one more prayer and then we're done. I see your hand. That's great. Thank you. Is there anyone else in this house this morning? I see your hand. Is there anyone else in this house this morning who for the first time wants to reach out to God by just putting up their hand saying, God, I give you first place. Every Christian praying. Thank you, Father. Lord, we pray for those who've reached out to you in this moment, that they would know that because of your life, your death, your resurrection, they are forgiven, and there is power available to them to live differently the life they were created to live. We pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. They could live this incredible, risky, crazy, ridiculous, but wonderful life. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. And then in this silence, just before I close... Just 20 seconds. What's God saying to you? What do you need to do? If you're here from another church and you've been neglecting this thing to say, okay, I'm going to go online late. I'm going to get that response to my church. I'm going to start doing this. If you're a member of this family, you grab a giving form. You put it in. Remember, the church doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. And if 100% of the people in this church gave a tithe, then forgetting all the money... It tells us this is a church who are putting God first because there's no bigger test than the test of money. What's God saying to you? Do that. Do that. Father, we lift to you what we've spoken about today. And Lord, I pray that you would sift it, Lord. If, if I've got some things wrong, then would you evaporate those things from our mind? Let faith rise. Let trust rise rise 
in this place. Lord Jesus, we pray for financial miracles. We know there are people here this morning who are in financial dire straits. Grace to come over them, Lord, we pray. We pray for those without jobs. May they get a job this week. And may they get a check in advance. We pray, we agree in prayer for those, our brothers and sisters in this room and that we know who are struggling financially without employment. We pray, bless them this week, Lord. We want to tell miracles next, next Sunday. Help us to respond well, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And so may the Lord bless you. And may the Lord keep and protect you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor this week and give you what your soul longs for more than anything else, his wonderful peace. Amen? Amen. Amen.